Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. On April 25th, we launched our latest series on adolescent health. Today, there are some 1.8 billion adolescents alive, and we're defining adolescents as those aged 10 to 24 years. Now, while great strides have been made in previous decades in child under five health and mortality, progress in adolescent health has been much slower. Action to promote health in this age group is essential since many behaviors that cause adult health problems have their roots in adolescence. To get a flavor of the series, I'm going to pass you over to my colleague Sabina Kleinhardt. The following is an excerpt recorded at the series launch in New York. After a brief intro, you will then hear from Susan Sawyer, lead author of the first series paper. Good morning, I'm Sabina Kleinert from The Lancet, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you here to this on-the-record joint press conference for The Lancet Adolescent Health Series and the UNICEF report on adolescence this morning. May I just remind you that both the serious papers and the UNICEF report are embargoed to one minute after midnight Wednesday UK time, which I think translates to one minute after seven uh, local US time. (coughs) It's a great week for adolescents and young people here in New York this week. Not very far from here, there's the 45th session of the United Nations Commission on Population and Development, and they have chosen adolescents and young people as their central theme. Together with this new Lancet series and the UNICEF report, there is an unprecedented momentum here for young people and adolescents. Young people, after all, are our assets for the future. Young people mean innovation, productivity, and progress. Yet, the health and development of young people is often neglected and marginalized in discussions on health and development. We need to think about young people when we talk about the burden of non-communicable diseases. Adolescence is an age in which risky behaviors, health-related lifestyles have a lasting impact into adulthood. We cannot talk about the burden of non-communicable diseases without dealing with smoking, obesity, physical inactivity, drug and alcohol misuse, and mental ill health in young people. And this series explores how we can bring young people more into the mainstream of discussions in national and global health agendas. The first paper in the series will set out how we can look at adolescence as a foundation for future health. And I will now hand over to Susan Sawyer, who is the lead author of the first paper, who will uh, go through her paper. She's from the Centre of Adolescent Health in Melbourne, Australia. Susan, please. Good morning, and as Sabina said, it is a very exciting time to be here in New York, where Banky Moon, apparently for the first time... um, 
that anyone can remember uh, launched the uh, session yesterday at the International Commission for Population Development, the first time that the UN Secretary-General has ever launched a commission. And in comparison to a handful of NGOs usually represented, there were over 500 there. This is certainly an exciting time. I'd like very much to acknowledge my co-authors on this paper, which, as Sabina said, is really trying to set the scene for what we understand adolescent health and development is about, the multiplicity of influences on it, and indeed set the scene for the papers that follow. And to start with, I think it's really important to highlight the tremendous number of young people in the world today. 1.8 billion, the largest that we have ever seen numerically. And as a proportion of the population in this graph, which I'm afraid doesn't uh, project particularly well, you can see that in the darkest of reds is the uh, greatest proportion of the population that constitute the 10 to 24-year-old age group, represented very much in sub-Saharan Africa, in Latin and Central America, and also in uh, West Asia and the Middle East. And the challenge in terms of this youth bulge is that how countries harness the energy of youth, find ways to educate and employ their young people, will either set themselves on a path to healthy development or not, and the health of young people is very much part of this agenda. I suppose in many ways, and as Sabina has highlighted for this series, the key central take-home message of this paper is very much that rather than previous views that have seen adolescence as a brief period of turmoil, particularly problematic in high-income countries such as US, Australia, UK, Canada, indeed adolescence in this important developmental period is a resource for future health and wealth of countries and the sorts of health issues affecting young people are universal issues now around the world that paper four will very much pick up on. This paper uh, describes uh, a conceptual framework for this uh, series, which is really looking on the vertical axis here in pink, heading through to a little bit of green, the notion that adolescence builds on earlier phases of development through from preconceptual to early childhood development and is strongly influenced by social determinants and risk and protective factors coming from vertical down, with the unique developmental aspects of puberty and the social role transitions through to adulthood being what define this period. And in many ways, the focus on the biological aspects of development, particularly uh, cognitive maturation, uh, are very much highlighted in this first paper to, in, to highlight, in a way, the universality of this developmental agenda. This paper talks about the expanded shape of adolescence. On one hand, uh, this as a period of human development that is now starting earlier and ending later than ever before, with, in many ways, far less clarity about when this period actually ends. Uh, even 30 years ago, these time points that saw the entry into adult life were much more defined, completion of education, employment, marriage, parenting, that are now much less discreet uh, as endpoints. And a lot of what we have talked about in the very first part of this paper is asking the question, what's the right language to be using here? We've used the terminology of adolescence and have used this series to highlight the health issues affecting the 10 to 24-year-old age group.
It's appreciating that, as I mentioned, that this is not just about the raging hormones of adolescence, important as hormones are in terms of uh, triggering the hormonal development of puberty, but very much in terms of brain maturation that we're increasingly realising is placing young people, particularly in middle adolescence, at a period of greater risk uh, than they have previously exposed. And this extended period of risk has certain implications uh, if we look at countries like Australia and in the US, where in comparison to 50 years ago, where the average age of marriage was, say, 21 in Australia, and the average age of first onset of sexual intercourse was very similar, this is now extended up dramatically in Australia, where the average age of uh, first marriage now is 29, but the average age of first sexual intercourse is 16. This period of sexual health risk, if you like, is much greater than ever before. We highlight in this paper that in addition to the usual social determinants that in paper two uh, Russell Viner is going to be highlighting, there are emerging drivers of adolescent health, in particular the extent of marketing that is focusing on young people, uh, bringing, if you like, very unhealthy attitudes and products which are really shaping many of the health-related behaviours that young people, not just in high-income countries but across the world, are now embarking upon. I've put up this image of a Japanese woman smoking uh, up in the top here, we are seeing dramatic increases or reduction in previous uh, social attitudes against female smoking, which is now becoming much more common in low and middle income countries. Similarly, the second graphic there is in terms of alcohol rise in India, where it's the largest growing alcohol market in the world at the moment. Um, and in particular, and it might be hard to see the bottom image on the right there, which is uh, really highlighting the notion of social media bringing new risks. New risks in terms of engaging in behaviours such as sexting, cyberbullying, concerns of internet addiction, particularly in many parts of Asia, sleep deprivation for many young people across the world. But the notion of social contagion, in a sense, how social media is part of a peer network, expanding one's peer network of reference. Historically, we know that suicide, copycat suicide, has long been appreciated in terms of concerns of social contagion. And the risks in relationship to new social media are such that the rapidity of changing social norms is bringing new risks in relationship to things like disturbed body image. Bulimia nervosa has been described uh, very much in relationship to this as well as very rare events like school shootings. And I've highlighted here this uh, self-immolation in, this is in Algeria, uh, following events uh, in Tunisia the year before. Previously, very, very uncommon events, obviously still uncommon in the scheme of things. Obviously, there are tremendous benefits and opportunities to be gained from these new media as well, particularly in terms of promoting health. This paper highlights the changing significance of the adolescent burden of disease. I won't go into any of this today, but simply to highlight, as with UNICEF's increasing focus on adolescence, this is reflecting the tremendous gains that have been achieved in survival in earlier years that are now creating a much stronger focus on adolescence. The shift across adolescence of the sorts of health behaviours that are increasingly experiencing with maturing age from 10 through to 24, and the shifts by region across the world, but also within region. So that in many parts of the world, we know that marginalised young people are the ones who are faring particularly badly and have the poorest health across the world. The importance of this changing burden of disease is that many of the uh, causes of mortality and morbidity in young people are highly preventable. 
And the onset of many of these health-related behaviours and states have implications way beyond the adult years to contribute to the growing burden of non-communicable disease that, as we know, is really threatening to overwhelm health systems internationally. And I think the challenge that this paper raises, not necessarily the answers, I'm afraid, but the challenges it raises is that our efforts to improve the health of young people have been very much based around vertical silos, particularly in terms of sexual health. But in terms of the broader range of health issues, we can silo them here in terms of where the biggest killers are, in terms of accidents and injury, where the greatest burden of disease lies, in terms of mental disorder, um, and highlight that we can address each of these concerns within such silos or we can think about trying to bring a different perspective, trying to integrate these silos by looking at a more uh, holistic view of adolescent health, which we would argue can't be achieved simply but in terms of risk reduction within silos, because the broader aspect of how is it that we equip young people with the resources for healthy living, as I've put here, a much more uh, uh, a skill set that is going to be highlighted in the third paper that Rico Catalano's lead but cannot be addressed simply in terms of these individual risk factors approaches because so many of the determinants of these same health outcomes are common. And I suppose just to lighten uh, the tone, I've put up here this graphic sort of highlighting that our current efforts to promote adolescent health are as if IKEA were to be selling cars. Piecemeal, failing to think what is it that's required for young people to not just survive but to actually thrive. And I think the challenge then is writ large in terms of the global health agenda. We know that the Millennium Development Goals, particularly 4, 5 and 6, have driven large investments in relationship to earlier children, to mothers' health and in terms of HIV AIDS. We know that uh, improving the health of young people is central to improving the current Millennium Development Goals, but is equally central to improvements around these other global injuries, whether it's tobacco control, that overwhelmingly tobacco has its onset in adolescence, injury preventions, which are greatly uh, overrepresented in the adolescent and young age, adult age group, or mental disorders. So in terms of global health agendas, um, we also need to think much more uh, critically about placing adolescents much more centrally within these agendas if we are going to be successful in achieving any of these individual agendas. Um, and I think I'll end there. Thank you very much. We will also end there. The series on adolescent health is available online and features in the print issue dated April 28th to May the 4th. Also, just to say, if you are interested in global health and medical news, you should listen to our brand new podcast, The Lancet News. It's available for free on thelancet.com and via iTunes, and a new episode is out every Friday. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next week.